Hi, this is Elizabeth Collins from New Zealand Vegan Podcast. You can find me at nzveganpodcast.blogspot.com. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, and right now you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Before I begin, I'd like to mention that the No Agenda podcast is once more having a survey. The last results were not so positive for vegan listenership. Uh, eating habits was pretty funny. 91% of the No Agenda, uh, no, Agenda no, no Agenda demographic is carnivore. 7% is a loose vegetarian. 1% strict vegetarian. 1% pescatarian. And loose vegan and strict vegan 0%. I guess uh, I know we have... Uh, at least, oh, we have at we, least we have, three or four major uh, vegans that listen to the show. See, is the point, you know, so they, they didn't uh, participate in the survey, uh, right? obviously. Nobody voted for the vegan side. Well, I've done my part, so has Lorraine Haynes, so there'll be at least two No Agenda vegans who show up in the next results. If you'd like to vote to represent vegans, you can find the survey at noagendasurvey.com. I had a complaint that it uses the terms loose and strict, though. I don't like saying, I am a strict vegan. It sounds so awful. A strict disciplinarian, for example, has their children living in fear of a beating. I'm no more strict in my veganism than I am strict about cheating. I wouldn't call myself a strict rule follower, though. To call yourself a loose vegetarian or vegan, it's just another way of showing how you are following some hip fad that you decide to bend the rules sometimes while still wanting to feel part of the cool group with that trendy label vegan. I enjoy listening to audiobooks while I work. I've been listening to the sequels for 2001, A Space Odyssey. I've noticed a couple of interesting things in 2010, which is the second book, and then the third, 2061. From 2010. For it was really none of his business. Yet there was another matter about which he was still curious. Chandra, he said, I don't believe I ever thanked you properly for the job you did at the flyby when you persuaded Hal to cooperate. For a while, I was really afraid he'd give us trouble. But you were confident all along, and you were right. Still, didn't you have any qualms? Not at all, Dr. Floyd. Why not? He must have felt threatened by the situation, and you know what happened last time. There was a big difference. If I may say so, perhaps the successful outcome this time had something to do with our national characteristics. I don't understand. Put it this way, Dr. Floyd. Bowman tried to use force against Hal. I didn't. In my language, we have a word. Ahimsa. It's usually translated as non-violence, though it has more positive implications. I was careful to use ahimsa in my dealings with Hal. Ahimsa? Where have I heard that term before? I'm sure 2010 sounded a long way away when the story was written in 1982. Who needs Hal 9000 when you have Alex? If my iMac ever goes nuts, I'll remember Ahimsa. And, in 2061... Sometimes the river of power could even be seen by the naked eye, glowing yellow with the characteristic light of ionized sodium. Some engineers on Ganymede had talked about tapping the gigawatts going to waste next door. 
but no one could think of a plausible way of doing so. Well, their main problem would be there's no such thing as a jigger watch, except in these three movies. Tucker's electrical, but I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! And finally, a year ago I signed up with the New Zealand Pork Board to get some labelling stickers. I have a roll of a few hundred stickers boasting of 100% New Zealand pork, which are used on the plastic wrapping. I put the stickers on pamphlets of my own design, over top of slaughterhouse photos, to show that no matter what fancy label gets put on the packaging, we shouldn't be killing animals, it's all awful. A little blue sticker is in no way a guarantee of a happy natural life. Quite the opposite. So, the pork board has my work address listed as a butchery, I suppose. I could order a whole lot more of their stickers and promotional posters. Twice this week, the pork board has sent me a free magazine. First, some Taste magazine, which mostly featured full-page photos of roasted animal bits, and today I got a Woman's Day. Enjoy your complimentary copy of the latest Woman's Day magazine, from New Zealand Pork and Woman's Day magazine. What a weird thing to send. Does the average butcher really care about Katie Holmes wastes away? I want to be skinny like posh. Not to mention Woman's Day. It sounds pretty sexist in 2010. But anyway, thank you New Zealand Pork Board for the two free magazines, retail value of about $4 a piece. A New Zealand police dog was recently shot by a criminal. Gage, the police dog, is being hailed as a hero after he lost his life protecting his human colleagues yesterday. Police say the role their canine counterparts play in the force is both indispensable and dangerous. And when a police dog dies in the line of duty, it's as devastating as losing a partner. Tova O'Brien reports. Ruby's just one day old. In eight months' time, she'll be ready to officially begin her training as a police patrol dog and to form a bond with her handler that's as strong as any police officer has with a human partner. They come to depend on them. Um, they develop a, uh, a reputation for the handler because of the work that they can do. Um, and you know, most guys, that when they start in the section, they struggle to ever leave it. When Gage the patrol dog was gunned down in Christchurch yesterday, he became the 23rd New Zealand police dog to die in the line of duty. Soon his name will be added to the wall of remembrance and his handler Bruce Lamb will mourn the loss of a family member. Anguish, grief, it's, um, it doesn't matter whether he's been killed or whether he dies naturally, there is a huge void that is left um, within the handler and his family. In the breeding kennels at the National Police Dog Training Centre, the next puppies these dogs have could be chosen for the front line of an increasingly risky job. There's always an element of risk and it's something that I think is in the back of all their minds. Unfortunately, I think you know, history has told us just recently that some of those risks are probably greater than they were when I was on the street with a police dog. It takes 10 months to train a police dog and the cost is in the vicinity of twenty-six dollars to $30,000. But when a dog dies, the emotional cost is immeasurable. Tova O'Brien, 3 News. This has happened here before. I remember a well-known police dog decades ago being shot. The whole country was upset. The incident was caught on video. Okay, so you have some criminal on the run with a gun, very rare in New Zealand. Do you really think they wouldn't shoot a dog? The news clip showed little signs with each killed police dog's name. There are about 15 shown on the wall. The sooner we stop putting animals in the line of trouble, the better. Having police dogs is no better than having animals in war scenarios. I remember reading about anti-tank dogs. 
strapped to bombs who were to run underneath enemy tanks, the bomb would explode after coming into contact with the metal tank. In practice, there were many problems with the dogs afraid of the moving vehicles. They'd been trained with parked tanks. Reading from Wikipedia. Some persistent dogs ran near the tanks waiting for them to stop, but got shot in the process. Gunfire from the tanks scared away many of the dogs. They would run back to the trenches, often, often detonating the charge upon jumping in, injuring soldiers. To help prevent that, the returning dogs had to be shot, often by the people who had sent them. Other animals should be left out of our warfare. We have no right to conscript animals as suicide bombers. I think it's awful that criminals have shot and killed police dogs, but I guess it's going to happen, isn't it? These people are trying to get away from the police, are they expected to drop their weapons, sit down and be bitten by a police dog? And I think it's silly to call the killed dogs heroes, as if that in some way makes up for what's happened, as if the dog's actual family would be proud of him or her for dying a patriotic death. I'm sure those police dogs are trained to bite padded handlers. I'm sure they've never been shot at before, that they wouldn't understand they could be killed by the person they are running at. We shouldn't risk the lives of other animals. Last episode, I covered the ludicrous Centre for Consumer Freedom. I should put an echo on that. A lobby group founded by tobacco, fast food and meat industries. I've noticed this frankly sinister group appearing as a counterpoint to any supposed animal rights position. It seems to be common for media sources to have a soundbite from the group as a defence from welfare reforms or Peter stunts. The public sees PETA members with billboards droning blood, blood, blood on your hands or you're an awful person for not killing animals in the way we told you to kill animals. Then, David Martosco from Consumer Freedom appears. Hey, PETA kill a few thousand animals each year. They even put the dead animals into a freezer. How weird is that, right? Only PETA would do something as awful as killing animals and putting their corpses in a big fridge. So that means true animal rights is nonsense too. Come with us, your friends at the meat industry. Because we certainly never kill animals. I've heard of Penn and Teller before. They are an American duo who perform in Las Vegas, magic tricks and exposing fraud. They are skeptics, they are proud atheists and they challenge any claims of the supernatural while showing how such tricks are performed. They have a show called, uh, I'm not sure if I can say this. With the coexisting with non-human animals listener under 18, please press the fast forward button on your iPod to skip 10 seconds. Okay, if you're 17 or under, have you rebelliously continued listening despite what the voice in your head just commanded? Good. Penn and Teller's show is called Bullshit, with an exclamation mark. This show is not shown in New Zealand, to the best of my knowledge. Wikipedia initially said otherwise, but don't worry, by the time you hear this, I'll have hit that wonderful edit button and distorted an historical document to match what I believe to be true. I used the magic of BitTorrent to grab a few episodes from the other side of the world. Who needs to believe in the supernatural and magic when nature and science are so terrific and real? I try not to take anything for granted. I'm amazed every time I press a key on my Bluetooth keyboard and magically my thoughts fly through the air into the thin aluminium slab that's a whole quad-core computer. Penn and Teller seem to be a couple of those fancy American buzzwords, libertarians, not librarians or librarians. Librarian girls, you know that you came and you changed my world.
I always thought MJ was meaning librarians, how it's common to instead say librarian. What's more likely, to have a crush on a librarian or a hair in a bun in those sexy glasses or a librarian? I was little okay, and probably had never seen or heard of Liberia or her estimated 3.4 million citizens. 3 million, ha, in your face Liberia, even New Zealand has a mighty 4. Now I feel bad. I've lost my legions of Liberian listeners and caused a war between our countries. It seems like an historic nation. Founded by freed African American slaves, I've included a link in my sources. From my limited understanding, Libertarians are the right-wing versions of anarchists. They want no awful government telling their citizens it's illegal to possess doomsday devices. But hey, anything to get rid of those awful liberals and their commie ideas of healthcare and a living wage. I'd like to play you a series of clips from the Peter slash animal rights episode. They say all animal rights is featured, but mostly it's Peter. Of course, any journalistic coverage of Peter will never come out positive, especially when they smear all of animal rights with the P-word. Oh, and for people unaware of the Duo's act, only Penn speaks, his sidekick Teller is normally a mime. It's a little odd, there's two people, but only one will speak. Here's the opening. You might be wondering what our friend is doing here. Well, he's one of the many creators of bullshit. And he has a vested interest in this show because we're taking a look at the animal rights movement in general, and more specifically, a group called PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. These are folks who don't want animals killed, hurt, exploited, or embarrassed. Okay, we're gonna try it their way. We aren't gonna tease or abuse the bull. He doesn't have a cute name like Elsie or Moo Moo or Heifer Lips. His name is Dave. Nothing funny about that. We wouldn't do anything to this bull that we wouldn't do to each other. Except calling him Dave. Here you go. <laughs> hey, cool, Dave. He can talk. <laughs> right, so the bull is brought on set to watch the one that talks pretend to brand the one that normally doesn't talk. Isn't it wonderful to treat animals as property? To have one taking up your show's budget, just to be on set while you joke about burning your mute sidekick. But just like a lot of animals, we think other animals are good to eat. We noticed that during this episode, we were able to tell which side of the debate someone was on by, by their girth. I thought that was quite funny the first time I watched the show. Penn is quite an obese man. What an odd thing to say, to make fun of yourself, hell, and everyone else who eats animal byproducts, so... 99% of society, and not a made-up, like, heaps and heaps 99%, but an actual 99% that are not vegan, are all obese, that the only way to be regular or thin is to be a vegan? This joke gets brought up throughout the episode. Guess which side this couple is on? We want animals to be, to be safe, to be free, um, to not be exploited, to not be abused, to not be killed. Pamela Ferdin, spokesperson for Animal Defense League Los Angeles. We have a right to take care of those that are weaker than us. So that just because we have all this power doesn't mean we ought to be exploiting all these animals. Dr. Jerry Vlasic, member of Animal Defense League Los Angeles. How many animals did you kill today? This remarkably thin husband and wife team and their skinny pals are marching against the LA City Animal Shelters and the man who oversees them, Jerry Greenwald. They want to hide the fact that they're killing all these precious cats, dogs, puppies, and kittens. Man, there is a lot of anger there. 
This Jerry Greenwald must be a monster. Jerry Greenwald, General Manager, Department of Animal Services, City of Los Angeles. Okay, he looks like a decent fella. I mean, he looks like he eats beef. We rescue 63,000 animals a year. All this commotion about what we're not doing uh, isn't going to change what we are doing. And what we are doing is taking care of the animals in a humane and loving way. Do they have to kill animals? Yeah. But they also bust their balls to increase adoptions and educate pet owners on spaying and neutering. Something PETA doesn't mention. Cats, dogs, puppies and kitties every single day are killed in shelters just like this one. Behind closed doors, they're torturing animals. They're keeping them in steel cages for their entire lives. What are we supposed to do? We have about 100 or so animals in here. I'm Jackie David, Public Information Director for the City of Los Angeles Animal Services Department. Shall we turn them all out into the street, including the aggressive ones? What do we do with them then? Then do they go bite everyone and then it's our fault again? We are the repository of society's ills. We are the repository of society's uh, apathy. So what do these PETA people really want? We want the total abolition of animal cruelty and death. We want total animal liberation. Yeah! Animal liberation! What? Grab a seat and have some ribs. There's a whole lot of information that most people just don't know about PETA. I'm stuffed. Here's an organization that says, on one hand, that it just wants puppies and kittens and cows and chickens and pigs to live beautiful lives, and that's a wonderful pipe dream. David Martosco, Center for Consumer Freedom. Meat eater. On the other hand, it tries to accomplish these goals by intimidating, harassing people, threatening them, and by funneling its money to people who strike matches and, you know, throw bombs and advocate throwing bombs. The animal rights movement is moving in an altogether different direction from what the American public would support if they understood what they're really about. I'm Patty Strand, president of the National Animal Interest Alliance. People in my community don't think that PETA means people for the ethical treatment of animals. They use the acronym to mean people for extortion, terror, and abuse. Extortion, terror, abuse? But PETA is the largest animal rights group with 750,000 members around the world. How crazy can three quarters of a million people be? Well, if you watch our show, you know the answer to that. I believe that they are a religion. I believe that they do operate like a cult. Patty Strand is one of the country's leading advocates for animal welfare. Although she loves animals, she hates PETA. And we bet she eats meat. Let's go. You know, if you think about cults and you think about mind control, how do they operate? They operate by using sensational, often horrific visual images. The joke about weight does seem to be somewhat true. All the featured um, anti-animal rights people seem to be heavily overweight. But of course, people come in all shapes and sizes regardless of what we eat. I don't know any vegans who are stereotypically short and deathly thin. I don't think any vegan I know would ever make that claim. Ah, oh, I'm malnourished from not drinking cow's milk and eating bacon. And if you were appearing on the side opposite animal rights, wouldn't you be offended to watch the produced show at home with your family, as they mention how fat you are as part of your title? So, we've seen that all animal rights people are lunatics, of course, probably without a quote, real job, who hold up cardboard signs outside animal shelters. I don't think I could ever work at a shelter killing unwanted ex-pets, but I guess it's inevitable that some animals will be, quote, put down.
Let's remember this clip that animal rights people are nuts and we are all against animals being put down. This topic comes up later. Whatever Ingrid says, goes. Please welcome the founder and president of People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA, Ingrid Newkirk. Here's Ms. Newkirk speaking at an animal rights conference. Let's just listen. Most people in this room understand that slavery is not over in America, or in the Western world, or in the world in general. The animals are today's slaves. Slaves? She said animals are today's slaves? You can throw around the word ethical, but slaves? There are still millions of humans in slavery around the world. How many people watching this show have slavery in their own family histories? We sure have it in our national history. I, do you really want to equate that worldwide shame to chickens? I think that comparing how we use animals to slavery can be offensive to many people, but it's also logical. For more information about modern slavery, please visit quotesonslavery.org. Randy really has done a great job, and I'm not just saying that because I bribed him with an iPhone 4 for including a quote from the show. Listeners under 60 years of age, get ready to fast forward just after Peter's leader is first mentioned. Hey, we'll show you what they want you to see. Here are some of the images PETA likes to use over and over again. It is horrific to watch, we'll give them that. But the Federal Animal Welfare Act is in place to prevent these kind of abuses. Just because this stuff is evil, oh, and, and it is, does not mean PETA's insanity is good. This is PETA's founder and leader, a shrewd, enigmatic, self-proclaimed press slut. I couldn't believe she would actually say that, but I found the original source. Newkirk loved the notoriety and still does, jousting with the media thrills her. We are complete press censored, she told me. It is our obligation. We would be worthless if we were just polite and didn't make any waves. The link is to michaelspector.com, a staff writer for The New Yorker. The interview happened in April 2003. Searching online, the results are dominated by the Center for Consumer Freedom and other anti-animal rights websites. But Newkirk really called herself and Peter that. Not only do they put half-naked women in cages who have the State of the Union undress, but to actually call her group that word. Unbelievable. What else could Peter do to be more offensive? I think anyone listening will agree that Peter is terribly sexist and that we shouldn't defend their actions. I am sad that so many people think Peter speak for animal rights when we want nothing to do with them. The uh, belief that what happens to a chicken is morally identical to what happened to the Jews in the Holocaust. Hey, after all, Jews were cremated and chickens are barbecued. Hey, we at PETA see no difference. Dennis Prager, nationally syndicated radio talk show host and columnist. And clearly a meat eater. With all respect, chickens are stupid. Very stupid. I think you could guess how I feel about that clip. Many animals act differently and show intelligence in different ways. Some dog breeds are mostly solitary, others work together better. Chickens are birds. Like all birds, they live in close communities. I don't know what my little friends would have to do to prove they are, quote, intelligent. And I have no idea what any standard intelligence test for all animals would require. Very few animals can recognize themselves in a mirror. But as Gary Franciona said, the dogs he look after can recognize their own, um, scent on a bush, even after a fairly long period of time. Dogs may not recognize their reflection by sight, but they recognize each other through smell. Chickens obviously have their own language, they talk to each other non-stop, and I can somewhat understand their different calls. 
They make different noises when they see a cat or a flying bird approaching them, for example. When I go into my backyard, my little friends will run towards me, and even when I don't feed them grain or vegetables, they still follow me through the garden. You know a sure sign of intelligence, though? Being perfectly suited for your environment. The world around you. Chickens are excellent at sleeping while standing. Apart from a mother hen nesting with her chicks warm in her feathers, all chickens like to sleep upright on a perch. They grasp very well with their feet. Miss Hen has recently had a sore leg. I've been treating her, and she's getting well. She had been hopping a lot. It hurt her to put weight on her right leg so she would hop. She learned to move quite differently and still be active. I'm very glad her leg is healing, but she was quite clever how she managed to cope. She would even sleep, standing up, on one leg. Humans are meant to be the smartest animals around, but I doubt anyone I know can sleep standing up, on one leg, clasping a tree branch. And even if one or two people in the world could, our brains are exactly how many times larger than a chicken's? Roger Yates recently posted a link on Facebook to a Daily Mail story. In a test of short-term memory involving numbers flashed on a computer screen, the apes comfortably beat the human opponents. Chickens are very caring, very emotional, very clever little animals. Whatever you use to define intelligence, animals definitely feel and are definitely individuals. And what about this footage? Pretty scary. Remind you of anyone? Cheap shot? Well, you bet it is. It's beneath us. But we're not the first to use the Nazi analogy. PETA uses it against all of us. They've got this truly offensive campaign right now. It's called the Holocaust on your plate. David Martosco and the Center for Consumer Freedom in Washington, D.C. have made it their mission to make sure PETA no longer gets away with their bullshit. They juxtapose images of Nazi concentration camps with images of livestock farms. They're trying to make the suggestion that the way we treat animals in livestock farms is no different from the way the Nazis treated the Jews. Sadly, if any public speaker can hold a crowd, being compared to Hitler is inevitable. I'll show you a real cheap shot. Welcome to Veganacious. All things vegan from an abolitionist perspective. My name is Barbara DeGrand and I'm here with episode 3, Cheap Shot. Barbara always has a great show, but episode 3, Cheap Shot, was especially wonderful, except for that guy who showed up around 7 minutes 40 seconds through, who droned on and on and on. Say Barbara, where would we find your show? You can find us on the web at httpveganacious.com, on Twitter, and our fan page on Facebook. Ah, thank you. The Peter you don't know would outlaw fishing, circuses, dog shows, horseback riding, and zoos. They even oppose the use of service animals like guide dogs for the blind. <laughs> blind bastards torturing those dogs! Is it really so scary to live in a world without very short men sitting and beating horses with part of a dead cow? Wouldn't you rather have an artificial eye, being able to see for yourself, rather than being led about, unable to see by a dog? I have no doubt that artificial implants will be far more successful than using animals to aid our daily lives. Nothing beats being able to see for yourself. Having a guide dog won't show you the wonders of damselflies or chicken friends. Just like police dogs, we shouldn't be using animals. But tactically, your management has to be completely out to lunch if you think you can get away with that status post 911. 
Some of you may wonder what put such a bug up our butt about PETA in the first place. Two words, medical research. PETA violently opposes using animals to save human lives. But first of all, we have to understand that animal research is unscientific. An animal-derived data can never be made relevant to another species. Without animal research, we have no biomedical science. Not only do we have no biomedical science, we have no public health. T.L. Gadotti, professor of medicine and public health, the George Washington University Medical Center. We would lose about 85-90% of medical progress from this point forward. Okay. Essentially, medical research would, would come to a halt. That's, that's basically what would lose. Everything. I don't feel qualified to talk about alternatives to experimenting on animals, but I fully oppose using animals in research. It's easy to set up your coverage of this issue by having the apparently freakishly thin vegans on one side and a serious looking doctor on the other. There are many good resources online about alternatives to testing on animals that I direct people to. Rather than pretending I fully understand everything involved with researching new drugs, and you can hear such interviews included in programs such as the BBC's Animals and Us, which has interviews with doctors who use other methods. Let's go feed the chickens, Vinny. Come on. We'd like you to meet an animal lover who wouldn't be alive today if not for medical research conducted on animals. One more time. Jump up, up. Her name is Patty Wood. And that's her grandson, Vinny. Hi, Vinny. When I was in high school, I learned I had strep throat. And usually people get well and go on with things. But with me, the strep throat went into my kidneys and destroyed them. And a few years later, I needed to go on dialysis. And at that time, the doctors put a bovine graft or a cow neck artery into this arm so that the large needles used for dialysis could take my blood out, clean it, and put it back. That cow's artery helped doctors keep Patty alive through two kidney transplants. When she later contracted anemia and almost died, drugs developed through animal research saved her life. Of course, Patty Wood isn't alone. Many of us are alive thanks to animal-based treatments. More than 10 million Americans are type A diabetic. We'll pick one almost at random. How about Mary Beth Sweetland? She's a type A diabetic. To stay alive, Mary Beth injects herself daily with insulin that was developed from medical testing using dogs. Nothing wrong with that, except Mary Beth Sweetland is a vice president of PETA. There's Ingrid, smack dab in the middle of their class picture, and right above her is Sweetland. Now, she admits her meds, quote, still contain some animal products. Sweetland says, I don't see myself as a hypocrite. I need my life to fight for the rights of animals. Not a hypocrite. Your group supports people who firebomb labs where animal testing is conducted while using the very benefits of animal testing to live your own upside down, house of cards, privileged life. I guess we must not know what a hypocrite is. Did you notice the sad music while a grandmother spends time with her family? I agree that it's certainly an odd situation. I don't think I would want to use any medicine that contained animal products. I have heard of vegans who make exceptions when it truly is their life or their death. I feel uncomfortable on this subject and I'd like to hear any comments from anyone listening. This reminds me of the cat issue. I can certainly assume that any life-saving drugs currently used can be reformulated to exclude any testing on or animal-related components. Taylor and I wanted to see if we could kill, clean, cook and eat our own chicken. 
We wanted to tape it to show you all the clucking, suffering, feathers, and blood that go into a chicken dinner. Turns out the Humane Association doesn't want anyone killing a chicken for entertainment. Why would the chicken care if it died in our bullshit show or at some processing plant? Their stance is good news for us because I'm pretty sure we couldn't even catch a chicken. But we can show someone else doing it. We can only be cruel by proxy. That seems really bullshitty. Processing animals for food is not a pretty sight, but isn't that an aesthetic point and not a moral one? If you're eating meat, you're part of this. We're part of this. If you can't stand the meat, get out of the kitchen. Just don't blow the kitchen up because you don't like my lunch. How's that chicken, Teller? Is, is he eating the chicken? Oh, Jesus. I've often thought it was weird that there were so many laws against killing animals for a presentation, and yet it's perfectly fine that 56 billion land animals are killed each year. For what? For our pleasure. I'm glad they didn't decide to kill a chicken on show, but wealthy groups shouldn't pat themselves on the back over those laws. Just watch a counter such as the one on abolitionistapproach.com or copied to my own blog to see how many animals are killed by averaging out each second. And yes, it seems like one of the chickens really was eating KFC. It's pretty gross. I don't know if all chickens would try and eat another dead, unprocessed chicken or not. It's pretty gross to watch anyway. I suppose many animals could eat their dead, but just because other animals do something does not mean that I have to follow suit. PETA loves animals and not humans. It's clear. That's why they could so, uh, uh, so trivialize the Holocaust. That's how they could say that uh, we, won't, we would never cure AIDS if we had to experiment on a rat. I certainly don't hate people. I like people, especially people listening. You. Yes, you. Hello. I think all actual animal rights activists are against animals being tested on because we can't justify performing pointless tasks on actually countless animals. Remember my last episode? We don't even know how many mice are abused for medical testing in the USA. Unfortunately, the animal rights movement is more popular than ever. And that's scary because it's not made up of rational thinking or reasonable people. But then what is? You want passion and truth? Okay. Teller and I would personally kill every chimp in the world with our bare hands to save one street junkie with AIDS. Well, that's an odd thing to say. It would be like saying I'd kill two people I don't know to save one of my family members. I can certainly understand feeling closer to some animals, some of your friends and family, over a stranger on the other side of the world, but to actually say you'd kill an infinite number of X to save one of your own Y group? Would Penn and the presumably mute teller publicly say they'd kill everyone in some random faraway country? Oh, let's say New Zealand, to save one homeless drug-addicted American? I don't think so, and I hope not. I like this next clip. We have a generation in America that doesn't know evil. They've never suffered. They don't know Nazism. They don't know communism. They don't know torture. They don't know death camps. So they're so naive that they, that they believe that the real evil is done to animals.
from God, heaven too crowded. But I say, hey, young world, you never look better. And I heard change start with the man in the mirror. Uh, this generation, I'ma represent a generation led by a black president. Because there's a mission we gotta finish before we leave. This generation is destined to do historic deeds. I had fun there, just another progression of how everything gets better. I'm sure I've offended any Who fans. Sorry guys, but hope I'd die before I got old is far from quality music. Then we went into the Generation X years, whining about how we don't know any other vegans over a poor quality MP3, which would have been a novelty format at the time, downloaded through peer-to-peer -peer over a dial-up connection, before finally we emerged at the glorious age of uplifting gangster rap. It's hard to believe, but just 15 years ago, any evidence of black presidentialism was deemed impossible by the oracle Professor Park. Ah, but things did change, just like the quality of music. Who would want to live through this stuttering? Vinyl, Discman, iPod Touch with 200,000 apps, including the fantastic iVegan. Made of wood veneer, tacky plastic, stainless steel and glass, things get better. Although, thanks to said black president, the Who generation will soon experience universal healthcare death camps. Sorry guys, it was nice knowing you. Okay, so I've established the superiority of modern music, loudness war and lack of Michael Jackson aside. I doubt the speaker knew the true pangs of war either. My friend Andrew was actually living in the Soviet Union, but he doesn't go on whining about how good I have it here in New Zealand. Many of my best friends in the animal rights movement are a generation or two older than me, and we feel the same about veganism. Age is nothing but a number, and respect for animals is nothing new. This was a, a fight for uh, liberation, no different than the fight for the liberation of slaves or women or, or any other oppressed group in the, in the past. We have to equate our movement with those movements. The foolishness of that comment is so deep, I can only ascribe it to higher education. You have to have gone to college to say something that stupid. I agree that being an uneducated person, I often have to learn new terms to describe animal rights situations. I speak simply about how I feel towards animals. If someone asks me about veganism, I'll say that animals are my friends, I grew up being told it was right to respect animals, but also that we kill some animals, 56 billion land animals each year, for no real reason. That doesn't make sense to me, and so I'm vegan, and promote veganism to help out all animals. I think that's easy enough for anyone to understand, although I do sound a bit like Forrest Gump. Veganism is like a box of dairy-free chocolates. If all you folks who donate your hard-earned jingle to PETA aren't convinced of your ill-advised ways yet, you should probably check this out. Buried deep in PETA's tax filings may be their dirtiest little secret of all. Right here in the left-hand column. Past the Frida the Fish costume, and you thought your money was for saving animals. Just below that, we found this notation for a walk-in freezer for which PETA paid $9,370.
Now, a freezer that costs that much would be about 10 feet by 15 feet, or roughly the size of this freezer here. We get to thinking, what would PETA need with a freezer that big? Is frozen trail mix that much of a delicacy? So we talked to a freezer expert, and he said that you need a freezer that big for one of two things. One would be meat, which no one at PETA would be caught dead with, and two, and we love this, cadavers. And then we found this. Sometimes the only kind option for some animals is to put them to sleep forever. Those are the words of Ingrid Newkirk. PETA euthanized 1,325 dogs and cats that year at its headquarters. Did that register? PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, kills animals themselves. They only took in 2,103, so PETA killed almost two-thirds of the animals they rescued. No, 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 stay in here. Let's be clear. PETA boss and guru Ingrid Newkirk is having animals put to death. PETA kills animals while attacking people who kill animals. Peter kills animals. Hmm, that sounds an awful lot like a site run by the Center for Consumer Freedom. Nice to know they helped write the episode. Yes, Peter have a freezer where they store dead animals. I'm quite sure that the animal shelter that was being shown at the very start of the program, being protested, also has a freezer of some sort. And yes, in the video you would have seen Penn and Teller wearing fur coats leading dogs into the freezer and then closing the door. Peter in no way speak for all real animal rights advocates. Ask Gary Francione, Elizabeth Collins, Randy Sandberg, Sam Tucker, Roger Yates, William Paul, or Jordan Wyatt if they have large freezers filled with dead animals. Speaking on behalf of the last guy, I'm sure we don't. I think something is definitely wrong with Peter if they kill basically all the animals left in their care, but it's not like the average anti-animal rights person has some issue with having a freezer filled with dead animals, right? I have one more thing to say to them. Remember this. Rights movements never go away. They always get stronger. They always attract more people. And there is no point whatsoever in wasting your time fighting them because we will grow and we will win. Bullshit! Again with that low blow. Oh, she's giving a speech and you don't agree with her. Quickly, throw in Hitler clips. What a cheap ending to a show that's meant to reveal the truth about various scenarios. To basically say that all animal rights is Peter, why couldn't the show be more like the BBC programs on animal rights and have an impartial stance? I was actually impressed with the honesty of the credits scene, though. No animals were harmed in the making of this episode of Bullshit. Well, except the chickens. Oh, and the, and the ribs, that's a cow, and our sexy leather boy outfits and the fur coats, and oh, you know, there a lot of the food is catered and they serve some meats, and there's probably a couple diabetics in the crew that need insulin. Almost forgot Teller's ass. Then I guess the building we tape in has manual products because they're commonly used in brick, plaster, cement, and insulation. Some of the furniture is probably made using animal-based glue, and there's a lot of animal stuff used in musical instruments, so maybe the theme song is just some animals. Oh, and the videotape contains mylar, and that's made from animal byproducts. But other than that, though... I'm glad they listed how silly that no animals were harmed slogan is. Just ignore the catering and costumes. What a callous ending though, to sound like you just don't give a damn about anyone else. 
Ultimately, I don't expect any kind of fair treatment from mainstream media shows on the topic of animal rights. We just need to go out there and promote veganism the best we can through creative and non-violent vegan education. I'm constantly impressed by all the wonderful, real-world activism that friends such as Elizabeth Collins and William Paul perform with public displays of information. Talking about veganism with consumers, that's how we help all animals. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. If you would like to contact me, even just to say you've listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.